Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the 39th MBT Fireside Chat. This is the last one we will be recording in 2017. Um, I'm going to start with a question from Ash. Now, this was uh, a second part of a question from the Youth Fireside Chat. Now, I know Tom's going to be doing one again that's going to be coming out very soon, but this was uh, something we left over from that to ask today. So I'm going to ask that first, Tom, if I may. Um, Ash writes, in Journeys... Robert Monroe writes that he had a certain type of data stream switch experience, which he refers to as a air hiss or valve, and that these were visions of the future. He gave this equation, H, hissing sound, plus V, valve opening sensation, equals F, future event vision. He gives confirmed examples of the accuracy of these visions, then goes into visions that have not yet been confirmed. On some pages, he describes the visions thus. There is principally a feeling of doom and the breakup of civilization as we know it due to something momentous having taken place, a factor beyond human ability to control. So my question is this. Should we not be preparing a plan of action in case of something like this occurring so that we can then help with a more focused and efficient way of giving our healing and other knowledge? Um, you have to remember that Bob Monroe, like all the rest of us, has to report what he sees in terms of his own personal interpretation, which is based on his own um, uh, history and his own fears and his own caring and his own whatever, his own experience base. So when he hears this um, hissing sound and a valve opening sensation, you know, what exactly is a valve opening sensation? You know, that's kind of an odd thing to say these are metaphors in his own mind for a precursor to a future event vision so we make these things up because if the vision just occurred somehow that would be unsettling we wouldn't be able to tell it from some other kind of thing that we were viewing so he has this little uh, tool set if you will that he has learned to use that gives him a sound and a sensation and that sound and sensation then tells him that what he's going to get next is some future event so first of all we won't take you know his his tool set too seriously as far as it being a literal thing rather it's a figurative thing it's a metaphor so that's one now secondly when he when he does see this this feeling of doom and the breakup of civilization uh, something momentous having taken place. I've had visions like that too, particularly back in the in the seventies. But the, there's a there's a few things to think about here. One, just because you get that information, just because Bob Monroe gets that information, doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. The future hasn't been figured out yet. He may be looking into some sort of um, future probability that is not very probable or one that is highly changeable. So you always have to stay skeptical. When you get that sort of information, you just have to be skeptical. You can't say, oh, this is going to happen. We better prepare for it. <clears throat> Excuse me. What you can say is this might happen. And if that's the case, then maybe I should be aware and make sure that I'm kind of looking out for the signs or whatever else would pre be a precursor to this sort of a big event. Obviously, if it's something momentous, it's not going to sneak up on us and happen, you know, overnight while we sleep and we have no idea. Things momentous don't happen that way. We'll have plenty of time to think about it and plenty of time to realize it's coming and so on if it comes here. So the, the approach that you should take is consider these sorts of things, possibilities. Don't consider them things that are definitely going to happen. And then be aware of things building in your culture and in the world so that you uh, aren't caught uh, surprised. But don't expect these things to happen like it's a, um, you know, this is going to be a fact. So the best thing to do is be skeptical. Don't necessarily plan on a on a bad time happening, but if it does and you see that it's, you know, that that's what's going on in the world and that it's coming to a crescendo, then yes, then you should prepare for it.
So that's kind of the practical view. Now, in a bigger picture view, yes, of course, using our intent to grow up, to become love, that's going to optimize our ability to deal with whatever happens, good, bad, or indifferent. So whatever you're planning for, growing up is the thing to do to get yourself ready for it. So that's the way I would say you should you should um, you know kind of deal with these things. I guess there's not a whole lot more to say about it other than remain skeptical. Bob also in his Far Journeys books talked about a time <clears throat> I think it was next millennium in the 3000 something that uh the world was uh, all at peace. Everybody had learned to uh, become love, and it was a it was a wonderful uh, a wonderful place. So he's had uh, descriptions that are exactly the opposite of that as well. And his descriptions, notice, don't come with any year assigned to them. They're all things that might happen sometime in the future. So don't worry about them. If you worry about them and say, "Oh no," you know. All of our, you know, life's going to hell in a handbasket and we need to get ready for the, you know, for the end. Then you're just adding fear to the problem. You become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. So be skeptical. Stay, stay plugged in and, and prepare if you feel like that's necessary. But otherwise, just live your life. Find as much happiness and joy in it as you can. Smile a lot. Laugh a lot. And don't worry too much about what's going to happen in the future. Whatever happens. You have an opportunity to deal with it when it does happen, and that's what's important, how you deal with it, not so much what happens. So it's interesting to read things like this, but don't take them too seriously. It's not, uh, you know, that's more to the fear side. Oh, awful things are going to happen. We need to prepare for awful things. Well, when you get into that fear mode, you become part of the problem. Okay, thank you, Tom. What about someone like Nostradamus? Gus going off a little bit, but did he did he tap in? Did he have the similar kind of visions? What 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 what's Nostradamus all about there? Well, now I don't really know what Nostradamus is all about. I know he's written some things down that can be interpreted to have meaning, uh, you know, to today. But a lot of that is interpretation, and who knows how much of that is real? So again. Unless you are the person who actually has an old manuscript from Nostradamus and you're reading the original and you know how to interpret it and you know how to interpret all the images, well, if that's not you and you're just reading about it in somebody else's interpretation, don't take it very seriously. It's uh, interesting, perhaps, entertaining, perhaps, but not to be taken uh, very seriously. If those things do happen, then we'll deal with them. If they don't happen, we won't have to deal with them. But worrying about them, that they might happen, is not only a waste of energy and effort, it puts you in the position of being part of the problem. Okay, yeah, that's very sound advice. Thank you, Tom. Okay, uh, as normal, we, we give preference for questions to those people who have joined us this afternoon. Uh, we're going to come to Vanessa in just a second, then we're going to go over to CT. If any of you uh, else, ha you do have a question, could you type it down for me or let me know that you do have a question so that we can fit you in and not just jump in? I would appreciate that. So, Vanessa, it's going to be you next, and then after that, TD, we're going to get you one of your questions. But, Vanessa, for now, it's yours. Okay, great. Thank you, Keith. Um, so... Oh, I didn't think I had any questions, but I love being a part of this forum. Um, so, but then as I was sitting here waiting, a few different questions popped in my mind. So I'll ask those throughout. Uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you, though, Tom, was um, you give back so much to us. We're always asking you, asking, kind of like taking advice from you, taking advice from you. So what can we do to give back to you? What can we do to, to help um, your mission, which is lower the overall entropy of the system, right? What what can we do? And I've heard you say, I know, like, grow up, be the change, but is there anything else that we can do? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, of course, grow up, be the change. That's, that's number one thing that you can do because that helps yourself and it helps everybody else. It makes you more capable of helping everybody else if you if you grow up. You can do you can be more helpful to more people if you grow up. So 
But what else could you do? Well, if you have talents and skills that you might want to volunteer, because MBT is pretty much a volunteer organization. If you have skills that you want to volunteer, then get in touch with Keith or with Donna at MBT Events, because they they are the 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 managers, the orchestrators of everything that, that goes on. And they have a list of people who volunteer with certain skills. You know, if you're a programmer or if you do, you know, you make videos or you, um, you know, whatever, fix computer course, fix uh, computers, you uh, understand how uh, websites work and you could help, you know, fix and, and improve websites, whatever your skill is. You're an organizer. You have, uh, you know, a meetup group like you do, Vanessa. Whatever it is that you're doing, if you want to know if those skills can be of help to us in general as we plan and organize and go around the country or around the world to try to talk to people, then uh, if you tell Keith and Donna at MBT events, they'll keep track of that. If you send it to me, I'll look at it and I'll be very appreciative of the effort. And then three or four weeks later, I won't even remember that you ever sent it to me. So you send it to, because I get so much email, I get so many things. It's hard to keep track of all of it. But if you send it to Don and Keith, they're the organizers. They'll actually organize it. They'll put it in a file. <laughs> you know, they'll list it by, you know, skills. They'll do all that stuff that organizers do. And they'll be able to come pull that out if they need something. So that's one thing you could do is, is kind of volunteer to um, do things, particularly if we're having an event in an area, we're looking for volunteers in that area that can help us find venues and you know do things. So even if you don't have particular skills and you just want to help, um, just get on Don and Keith's list so that we can we can call you up or email you if we have something that you can help us with. So that would be one thing. Another thing is, is MBT is going to spread through out, uh, well, as far as it spreads throughout the world, I would hope, but it's going to spread by, you know, uh, person to person. We call that viral. You know, people will tell other people. So in as much as you share with people who are interested, then that's helpful. Of course, that's very difficult for many of you to do because, you know, most of your friends, neighbors, and relatives aren't interested. And it's there's no point trying to share to people who are not interested. Now you just make a nuisance of yourself and pretty soon people will avoid you. So I wouldn't uh, suggest that you go out and proselytize. That's not the point. But where you are in a, in a forum or an environment or a place where it's appropriate to, uh, to talk about uh, big picture ideas and concepts and how the world works, then please do, you know, please uh, talk about it and help share the ideas that will help this thing become more and more viral. If you would want uh, me to show up in your neighborhood or your area to give a talk or do something, then get in touch with Keith and Donna and they'll tell you what the schedule is and whether or not that can be arranged or not and whether that'll happen in 2018 or 2019 and Keith's already planning things for 2020 now on the schedule so he's a <laughs> he really plans far out so he's putting things together putting things together for two years from now so you could do that other than that I'm not sure you could uh, always uh, run a group a discussion group or some kind of a, a meetup group. If you're, if you find that there are people in your area who are also interested and also have a hard time finding people to discuss this with, because this isn't a majority concern. Most people aren't interested in the nature of reality and, you know, our purpose here, that's uh, big picture thinking. And most people are kind of stuck in the little picture. So people who do have big picture thinking sometimes find it tough to find other people to talk to and to relate to and to be friends with. So you might want to start some kind of a, a meetup group in your area, or maybe it's not just your area. Maybe it's over the, you know, maybe it's all email over the web or Skype or Zoom or something like that. But those sorts of things individuals can do to um, kind of help move this these ideas into the larger 
population, which is what we'd like to do. Um, some of the things I'm going to do in the near future to, to do that is I'm going to try to come out with some um, a shortened, simpler version of MBT. Of course, it won't have much depth to it because when it's shorter and simpler, it doesn't go as deep. But it will be one that uh, most everybody can read and hopefully find interesting and will reach a larger audience than uh, the, the books that I have now. So that's one thing I'm going to do. We're going to try to make some videos that are short and more accessible to the average person. And that's, a, that's another uh, kind of process we're going to try to work on in the future. So these are the things that are going on. And if you can help in any of these things, if you're a videographer or if you know how to make movies, influence people, you know, say things cleverly or whatever, then uh, go talk to uh, Don and Keith and uh, they'll put you in harness. They can find a, a place for you. And sometimes it's just things like uh, we'd like to go through the audio books again and find any of the errors places where a, you know, a word is repeated or a sentence is repeated where the editing uh, didn't work well. You know, there's flaws in the editing in that. And we need people just to take a piece of it. You know, here's, here's a chapter. Just listen to that chapter and, and write down every, you know, every mistake that's in that chapter that you hear by time. And then Keith can go back and re-edit it. So that's the kind of thing that just takes a lot of people. If one person does it, it's a huge task. It's hard to do. But if 50 people were to do it, you could do it in three days. It would be simple. Each one could just do a chapter or maybe a chapter and a half. And that would make it simple. So there's those kinds of things that uh, that would be very uh, helpful. So talk to Donna and Keith and uh, get on their list. And that's probably the, you know, the biggest thing you can do to, to, uh, to help out. But you're already helping out a lot, Vanessa. You have your meetup group there in Vancouver, and uh, you're introducing this MBT to a lot of people that way. Plus, you're learning. You're helping everybody learn by getting together and, and discussing and helping each other figure things out, and that's good. So if we had hundreds of those groups, that would be even better. That's, that's great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. Appreciate that. You know, Tom, it's, um, well, for, for, for a start, I'm, I'm glad that you couldn't see my face during some of that when I felt really embarrassed about going into 2020 and, and the other things. <laughs> we do. We, we do always appreciate any and all offers of help. Um, over the last couple of years, we, we've been trying to do a project for putting people in touch. So if you are watching this at home, uh, first of all, get on our mailing list because well, that will give you all the news. We're going to make some uh, announcements soon. They're going to be coming on the mailing list. So email us, Keith, at MBT Events to get on your uh, get on our mailing list and also if you want to be put in touch with people in your area we've been working on that project so if you're in or near to a big city in the world i mean they are they're scattered all over so we can try and put you in touch with people who are mbt uh fans mbt readers uh, for you to share ideas and maybe come up with ideas of your own on how to promote it tell people about the videos and and things like that so uh, it's it's great it's it's all going in the right direction and, and we do appreciate all the the offers and all the help that people give us okay um tiddy i know you've got three or four questions so tiddy would you like to ask one of yours next sure uh it's a little bit fun because i had exactly the same question as vanessa but um i have one more aspect of that question is it so that we who listen to this, maybe we can all join a common intention uh, on how we would like to see MBT spread all over the world. Have a, um, are you thinking of maybe a, a sort of a, almost a group meditation, having an intention that we uh, focus on raising the probability that MBT will spread? Is that what you're thinking about? Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about um, raising the, the possibility by, by our intentions. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, we can all do that individually. To all yeah. do that together, yeah. um, I'll have to think about that. That would be a, an, an organizational thing to get that all organized at, at a you know, particular time we would do that. Uh, you know, there is an, another, I guess there's two other things I might say, is that in the near future, 
we're, we are going to try to raise some money so that we can get these experiments done. So we can either give prize money for a university to do them, or we can actually hire some, some uh, scientists to uh, work on them. You know, money is, a, is, is quite a good inducer of, uh, of interest. If you have money, then you can find, you can create interest with that. So um, we will probably go to Kickstart and try to raise money just with donations to support that sort of thing. And I don't know exactly when that'll happen because we're not ready yet. We have to make some videos. We have to do, you know, some media research. We have to do a lot of things to get ready for that. But when we do, there is going to be this this uh, kickstart um, program or what do we call it? Um, uh, kickstart. Um, there's a name for it. But anyway, it, it's going to be a, yeah, it's a crowdfunding, but that's not the word I was looking for. Campaign. It's gonna. That's the word I was looking for. The Kickstart campaign. When that starts, um, if you are aware of it, and hopefully you'll be aware of it, I'll probably try to. You know, I don't know how we get the word out. Maybe Keith, if you're on the mailing list, will send something out to, to let everybody know when that when that starts. But if you could uh, help uh, raise a little excitement within the people you know or whatever about that, that would help a lot. So we'll get, if that happens, we can get these experiments funded and done. That would be interesting, and, and I'm looking forward to that. And also, if we have more money than that, we can start making videos that have a lot of um, animation in them that help younger people, you know, kids and adults that have nothing, have no background in this or even not much interest in it. But if you if you use animation you can get a lot of ideas across that would be hard to get across just verbally. So we'd like to make some videos that are highly animated and, and uh, descriptive of MVT concepts. Uh, so it does, it's not all intellectual, you know, you kind of get the, the sense of it through the, through the video and that, that all costs money because making videos is an expensive thing to do. There's, there's the filming and the editing and all of that is, is very time consuming. Therefore it makes, you know, it takes a lot of money to do that. So we will have a kickstart going. And I guess one other thing on the same subject is that MBT is entirely a volunteer organization and maybe it will not be that way exclusively if we do the kickstart, because then we'll actually have some resources to pay people, you know, to do, to do things. But it's always been a volunteer organization and I've kept it that way on purpose, but also by necessity. I don't have the resources to, you know, to, to throw into it like that. My wife and I are both retired now, so we live on retirement income and it's, uh, it's a volunteer by need, but also I like it that way because if the time is right, if MBT concepts resonate with people, resonate with the general public, then it'll move forward all by itself. It'll do that virally, word to word. People will get excited about it. It will grow. If the time's not right, then there really isn't any point pushing on it then if the time is not right, it'd be like pushing on a string. Nothing really happens when you push on a string. The string just bends. So it has to be the right time. I have to be at the right place at the right time. And I'm thinking that this is the right time, that there is enough people out there that really hungry for something other than this greed, fear, you know, self-centeredness that we see and that we live with in the world today. There's a lot of people who want something else that's that's better than this that works better so i think it is the time and that means that you shouldn't have to throw a lot of money at it to make it go it ought to catch on it ought to be something that resonates with people and moves so by requiring it to be a a um, a volunteer organization i'm basically testing to see you know is the you know is this the time are we ready? If we're not ready now, then maybe, uh, you know, two or three decades from now, it'll be ready and it might catch on then. 
So there's no point pushing something if its time has not yet come. You know, if it's not ripe to push, it just don't work. No matter how hard you push, it isn't going to work well. So it has to, it has to attract volunteers. It has to make people say, like uh, Titi and, and Vanessa just said, how can we help? What can we do? You see, if you have enough people saying that, then it's going to spread. It's going to be successful. So that's sort of a measure of its success that people just pop up out of nowhere and volunteer. That's a very important aspect of it. If that doesn't happen, then the time's not ready yet. It's, it's not ripe. And the, the culture isn't, uh, isn't ready to accept it. In which case, it'll just have to wait till later, till they are ready. Because you can't push anything before it's time, before it's ready. So that's kind of the, the idea. That's why we've always been a volunteer organization. One, we don't have any money anyway. But two, <laughs> it, uh, you know, it's, it has to necessarily be that way. Otherwise, it, it isn't going to work if it doesn't actually pull people in and make them who want to volunteer, who want to be a part of this. And uh, then, it's, then it's gonna go you know, all by itself. You have, to get that, uh, you have to get that kind of enthusiasm for it before it's, you know that it's really time to happen now. So I appreciate all this, all this volunteering. Yes, that's great. You know, that's exactly what I want to hear. That's the sort of thing that tells me that it is time. You know, people are responding to it well. And the more you share with other people or form up groups so you can have people discuss it with, so you're not all alone with your thoughts, then the more likely it's going to grow and take off. And the higher the probability that we can turn this world into a kinder, gentler, better place. And that's the end goal. You know, you know, Tom, in just, we've been working with you now for 10 years and, uh, just in the last year, there has really been a sharp rise in the number of emails and the requests and the interest in, in, in both your, yourself and your work. So it's, it's definitely getting there very, very quickly. It's, it's like a snowball rolling down a hill. Um, so it's, it's good to see where it's going. Okay, the next question is from Nicholas. Nicholas, are you ready to ask your question? Uh, I had some questions about some health uh, challenges. Uh, I had an experience or an incident at work where I lost my sight for almost 40 minutes. And uh, I was um, visiting the hospital and the doctors didn't find anything suspicious. And it has happened three times now. And my question is just, could this be some kind of nudges or is this too hard to answer? When you have these things that the doctors look at it, they do all their tests, check your blood pressure, you know, check, uh, you know, your sugar levels, check, uh, you know, glaucoma and all the other things that they know how to check and they come up empty. I have no idea why that happened to you. That means that it's, it's probably something that is being pushed by non-physical. Okay. That could be a nudge or it could be, Levels of stress. You, know, you could have uh, very high stress levels, very high uh, anxiety levels that you deal with from day to day, and that may just be a way that that uh, you know you express those things. Sometimes, if if when you're dealing with high, <clears throat> high levels of stress, your body will just shut down for a while. Of course, something like going blind for 40 minutes just adds to the stress. You know, now you have all the stress you had before, plus the stress of there's something physically wrong with me and I don't know what it is. But that's the way the, the body works. So it could be that sort of thing. And just like when we were talking about the, uh, you know, the horrible events predicted for the future, stay skeptical. Just stay skeptical. It might be a non-physical cause. In other words, a cause really through consciousness, through stress. Um, it could be something that's that the doctors don't know anything about and they haven't figured out yet, but that's unlikely. At this point, our medicine has seen enough people do enough strange things that if enough people do it, they start to follow that and study it 
whatever. So if they don't have a clue, it's pretty good chance that it's not primarily a physical issue. It's a consciousness issue. <clears throat> and it could be a wake-up call just to break you out of your rut that you're in of everyday things that you're doing, telling you to slow down, relax, smell the roses, and uh, think big thoughts. It could be that. It's hard to say. You know, there's a lot of things that it that it could be. I'd ask you a question. Do you just go totally blind or you do you uh, just your vision gets poor? It's uh, uh, in between because I can see if I look at the PC or the, or the laptop, it's almost like half of the laptop is gone. So it's both. It's it's enough that it that it's hard to miss, right? But uh, not so much that uh, you're yeah. not processing any any light at all. Exactly. Yeah. I suspect that's a that's not a physical issue. My guess is it's a it's a non-physical issue, which, like I say, it could be uh, anxiety or stress or overload, um, or it could just be a wake-up call to to uh, start looking into bigger pictures and non-physical things and and uh, kind of expanding your your viewpoint and getting out of your everyday rut. Changing the way you look at things, which, of course, that happening does change the way you look at things. So it might just be that probably is something like that going on. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But stress can manifest in all kinds of physical things. Stress and anxiety, fear can manifest in lots of physical ways. People get itches. People hear voices. People feel like their hair is standing up on end. Uh, people get electric shocks. People get uh, back pains. People get, uh, you know, shoulder freezes up that they can't use it anymore. The list goes on and on and on of ways that anxiety and stress can manifest physically. And in all of those cases, the doctors look at it. They, tell you, they do all their tests and they shake their heads and say, we have no idea what's going on here. And that's kind of a good sign that what you're what you're experiencing is not really a physical problem but more of a spiritual problem or you know a stress and anxiety problem uh tom one thing i'd like to address on nicholas's question there that he didn't mention was that he is getting migraines and he has also been listening to the binaural beats and he was asking if that could at all um, contribute to the, the headaches he's getting in any way. Yeah. Could the binaural beats contribute to it? Possibly. It's not likely, but it's not impossible. It would depend on how you process those beats. If you, say, had a, had a, a, a fear, and this may not be in your intellect. This may be a fear that you wouldn't know you have. If you had a fear of getting into altered states and then, uh, you know, not being in control. A lot of times people have a, a control-based fear. If they get into an altered state or if they go out of body or if any of these things happen to them, they're out of control. They're no longer controlling things the way they normally do. Um, and that creates a fear. If that, if a person had those kinds of fears about losing control or about something awful might happen, if they, uh, didn't have control or if they were no longer in this reality frame, then that fear can take that binaural beat and turn it into a headache, which basically stops the process. It's something that keeps, keeps you from getting into that deep meditation state, going out of body or, you know, letting go of your intellectual control over your thoughts and your mind. So in that way, it could cause headaches um, or certain frequencies might cause headaches. I would say that if it's the headache cause is caused by some of the 512 or higher frequencies, then move down to the lower ones. Do the 6432. Go into the lower frequency. Those should be less intensive and less likely to cause uh, a headache. That would be a – they're gentler and softer kind of tones aren't quite so invasive or pushy. So that would be one thing to try. Other than that, just try to relax completely. 
try to think about whether or not you have any anxiety about having your intellect lose control. People that live out of their heads really fear if their head isn't any longer engaged and in control. That's a scary place for them to be. And uh, that sometimes can cause so much tension that the headache occurs. Okay. Thank you, Tom. I, I will smell the roses. <laughs> Good. Nice one. That's what you should do, Nicholas. Well done. <laughs> okay. Um, Tom, before I go back to Vanessa, um, I have a, I've just noticed here that we have a question from Ash. Now, if I remember rightly, Ash was also in the Youth Fireside Chats, and it goes back to the thing about helping out with MBT. He said, Tom, what would I need to do to be able to do what you do, teach about love? Would you be up for creating a sort of credential that you could bestow on others once they have demonstrated sufficient knowledge and ability to do what you do? That way you could be in multiple places at once. We could do with that. Um, I will listen to whomever because I recognize that we are one. However, many places of knowledge still require some sort of credibility to even give you a chance to speak. Would that actually help the LCS to grow up? Well, I'm not sure. There is this problem with credentials. Credentials need to be objective. You have to have an objective set of things that you know. You know, you're given a test and you have to pass the test. That's how you get credentialed when you make when you get an advanced degree. You know, if you get a master's degree or a PhD, you basically have to show that you know and have competency to a certain level in a certain area. Well, all of that is about applied knowledge. Growing up isn't about what you know. It's not even about, you know, what you apply. It's about what you are, who you are. It's a being thing. And it's really hard to credential or credit somebody on their quality of being. There are any number of people who are, who consider themselves to be highly evolved, very spiritual people, and who know how to talk the talk, know how to you know give answers, right answers to the questions, know that it's all about love and can talk about love, peace, and growing up, and so on. And they're really, at their own being level, they're really still not very grown up because this is all intellectual. It's all in their mind. It's, it's the way they think about the world. They understand it, but understanding it and being it are two different things. One is an intellectual quality. The other is more of an intuitive being level emotional quality. You have to be it. And I don't know of any way to certify being. You see, it's a very difficult thing to certify. And if you had somebody who, who could talk the talk but couldn't walk the walk, then would they really be a great help? Probably not. On the long run, that probably isn't going to um, be a big advantage. So how do we find people who really are grown up and certify them at the level of their being? Well, that's a difficult, that's a difficult thing to do. And I'm not sure that it can be done in mass. In other words, that we'd have dozens and dozens and dozens of such people who could go around and be these, these, uh, you know, enlightened, shouldn't you say enlightened, that would be able to help others grow up. So I don't know how to, I don't know how to organize, train, and create that. Because organizing and training are all about intellectual knowledge. And that's not really what it's about. And when you get to the point where now you've trained the priesthood, right, who are going out and they have the authority that they, you know, that they, you know, God speaks through them. Well, that just creates another whole can of worms, you know, another big problem that that you have, particularly if that priesthood also is walking around with its own ego and its own fears and things. So. I kind of shy away from that sort of organization, though I do see your point. It would be nice uh, to have that, but I think what we do is we just wait for that to naturally develop. And leaders tend to develop 
on their own. They grow up, and because they're grown up, people notice that, and people tend to have confidence in them and feel that they really are connecting with them at a being level. And, you know, so that takes place naturally without them having to be ordained or blessed or, you know, given credentials in a, an official system. Just the, just the sense of an official system with accreditation and all that stuff kind of, you know, makes me nervous and I kind of shy away from that immediately. It sounds too organized, too, uh, structured, too bureaucratic, too, um, I don't know, uh, just too much. That's that in that lies on a very slippery slope. That can be the beginning of deterioration of the quality of the ideas. So I think I'd rather just let that spring up naturally among the people who do grow up because those who do grow up will naturally find themselves helping other people. So if that just happens on its own, then they really don't need to be certified. I know that's not really a satisfactory answer because people want to, they want an organization that gives them a prescription and tells them how to do it. But that's really not what we're about. What we're about. It's not how to do it. It's how to be it. And nobody can give you a prescription for how to be. You have to do that on your own. So... Tom, you know, following up from that, if someone puts themselves out there as an expert in MBT, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Or is that just their own um, interpretation of, of your, your, your work and your theory? That's just their own interpretation of, of where they think they are. They call themselves an expert. Well, like everything else, be skeptical. You know, I tell people, be skeptical of everything. Be skeptical of me. You know, be skeptical of everything you hear. If it if it's real, if really they they do walk the walk, they are grown up people. They do love. They do care. That'll be obvious. That'll come right through. If they don't, then oh, they can claim to be an expert of anything. We have we literally have you know thousands and thousands of people who call themselves experts that really don't know a whole lot about what they think they're experts at. People tend to get carried away with their own egos about how fantastic, you know, their abilities are. And they claim expertise that uh, maybe they really don't have. That's a kind of a normal thing in a society that is very ego and fear-based. So there's lots of people claiming to be experts, but, you know, an expert isn't the point. They need to be quality being. It's not about their knowledge. It's about their quality of being that's important. You can read MBT and all the other wise books in the world and memorize every word on every page and still not grow up much. If you don't change and you know, reduce your entropy and become love, then yes, you can talk the talk and you can you know, debate and you can uh, you know, tell everybody else what their problem is and how they should fix it, but that's not really helpful in the long run. Okay. Thank you very much, Tom. Okay, we're going to go back to Vanessa. She has a question on entropy. Uh, she's having problems with her camera, so she's just going to be audio. But, uh, Vanessa, if you're there, go away. Shoot. Okay. Thank you, Keith. And uh, thank you, Tom, for that answer. I really like that because I've been looking at, um, obviously, like leading teaching MBT. You know, we have book clubs and practical application and, um, knowing that, um, there's no real structure to follow, but it's all about really just connecting with people and help in creating a safe space for them to be authentic and be real and, uh, let go of their fears. I think that's been kind of the foundation of what, um, we've been trying to practice. So it's, it's very reassuring to hear you kind of echo that as well. Yes, the problem with structure, Vanessa, is that once you once you have a structure and once you have a hierarchy, you also create a power structure. Any structure, mm-hmm. any, any structure in a in a social organization becomes a hierarchy, and then it, there's a, that power follows the hierarchy. So the people on top get to tell the people below, you know, what they should think and believe and how they should act, and that's just not productive to growing up. So I'd rather it be a very flat, you know, if if there's leadership, yes, but the leadership 
shouldn't be telling other people what to think and how to be. It ought to be providing a good example of what to be, you see, and let everybody else figure it out and grow up on their own because that's the only way to grow up. You have to grow up on your own. Nobody can grow you up. All you can do is be a good example and give people a a space that is safe and caring so that they can take the chances and build up the courage to grow themselves up. So, Mm -hmm. yes, a very flat organization that has very little hierarchy in it is the way I, you know, think that this has to go. So I'm, I'm very shy of organizing at that level. That's what happened pretty much to most of the world's religions. They, they organized and they structured and they have their hierarchy and their priesthood. And when you do all that, the, the basic ideas that are about individual quality start to disappear and the ego starts to fill up that structure and power fills up that structure and the need for resources to support that structure, you know, and pretty soon you end up with an organ <coughs> organization is about perpetuating itself rather than helping people grow up. Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I definitely share in that uh, that vision. Um, <laughs> any any of the people that volunteer with our uh, organization, they they add the, they share their voice and we call them facilitators because all they're doing is facilitating a safe space for people to come and show up and be real and do that important internal work. So there's no there's no really there's no dogma telling people what they need to do because they need to people need to decide what they need to do on their own, right? So right. yeah, I, I rather like that a lot. Thank you. Yeah, you grow uh, up by making choices and then learning from the feedback from those choices. That's how you grow up. You don't grow up because somebody lectures you and tells you how you ought to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when we, when we can create that safe environment for people to to make those mistakes, fall down, but then also be encouraged to get back up and try a different path, then it uh, supports them in, in trying new things and in, in learning new things their own way. So it's, uh, it's really helpful. Um, but uh, the question that I had around entropy was I uh, was looking at your, reading your book last night. And my understanding was that entropy, I, I see that the way that it works in this kind of physical matter reality is that entropy um, naturally tends to increase. And then, and then you said that, uh, but with, as far as consciousness goes, naturally tends to, um, entropy naturally decreases. Um, I didn't realize that though, because I thought that we had to apply uh, effort and direct our intent in order to lower our entropy. I didn't understand that it naturally would just decrease. Can you speak on that? Yes, it doesn't. Uh, You are right. And uh, if I said it the other way, or I said something that sounded like it was the other way, then I would be wrong. So you have, you have it uh, correct. You have to put effort in to decrease your entropy. It takes work. It doesn't just, uh, conscious doesn't uh, decrease its entropy just by hanging out. It takes effort to do that. You need to, to, to try and make choices, look at the results of those choices. And from those results, see how can you do better and then change yourself and then do better and be better. That's how you lower the entropy. So it doesn't just happen automatically. In consciousness and in the outside uh, in this physical virtual reality that we live in, in both of those, if you do nothing and put forth no effort, if no work goes in, no energy is put into it, then entropy increases naturally by itself everywhere in consciousness and in the outside world. Now, the way that consciousness evolves, and I may have said something uh, like this, or I may have intended to say something like this, the evolution of consciousness has to do with becoming uh, lower and lower entropy, right? That's how we evolve ourselves. And that is where we're going. That's the natural path for consciousness to take is to evolve, to grow up. It would be, uh, you know, the opposite path, de-evolving and growing down, if you will, the opposite of growing up. If, if you de-evolve, that, me- that means you become more fearful, you know, more ego, more self-centered, 
And eventually, because those things are unstable and self-destruct, the whole system goes away and self-destructs. So I might have said something or I may have had in my mind the idea that, you know, the way consciousness is going to exist and grow and move on and evolve is by lowering entropy. And that's kind of the, the natural path for consciousness to move in. And it may have sounded, you know, that I said the other thing or maybe I said the other thing. I should have said that. But in any case, you are right. Uh, both 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 places, consciousness and in the physical world, no energy input, and we have de-evolution in consciousness, and it's actually de-evolution here as well. Right. Our physical evolution also lowers entropy. So as we act, you know, with fear and with self-centeredness, those are those are forces toward de-evolution in our physical reality. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it works the same in, in both the NPMR and NPMR. Yes. I, I think I, I just read it wrong, so I'm looking at it again. I was half asleep when I read it, but you said consciousness naturally evolves to lower entropy states. So yeah, so it naturally evolves to lower entropy states. Not that. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for that clarification. Okay, TD, you asked, uh, you, well, you submitted two or three really good questions, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Why don't you ask uh, a couple of those for us? Oh, sure. I will be happy. Um, well, this question has uh, two view, views, one more general and one more specific. And it's about how to respond to people's fearful behaviors in a caring way. I'm thinking about the victims, the loud egos, uh, the angry people. Sometimes I think it's hard to know how to make productive choices when encountering people's fearful behaviors. So step, step one is, of course, to work on your own fears. Don't get mad. So consider you don't feel annoyed. How can we respond when we run into these behaviors? That's the general question. Yeah. Well, it depends. Of course, every individual and every behavior is unique. So we can't say one thing that, that kind of works for everybody. You have to judge. You have to understand each situation individually. But there are a few general things we can say. And that is if you run into somebody who's just angry, Chances are anything you say is going to feed the anger because when people are angry, they will, they will use any, anything you might say to them will push that anger further because they just want to be angry. They feel angry. They want to you know, lash out. They want to do these sorts of things. And even if you say something very nice and loving to them or give them a hug, they may push you away. They may you know, react with anger. In that case, there's not much you can do. You have to just let that be. The best interaction there would be to walk away or to just sit down and be with them quietly and not say anything. Just let them rant and rage for a while until they kind of pass that point. And then after they calm down some and kind of get over it, then you could maybe talk to them. But the wrong thing to do, it's easier to come up with wrong things to do than right things to do because <laughs> there's, there's always more wrong things that you can do than right things. The wrong thing to do would be try to convince them that they shouldn't be angry. There's no reason to be angry. Look, this may be, this is probably okay, and they really didn't mean that. And the more you try to reason with somebody who is not being reasonable, the worse it's going to go. So trying to, to solve the problem with logic won't work because it's not a logical problem. They're not angry because that anger is logical. They're angry, you know, that, that anger is, is irrational. So rationality isn't going to help. You might as well just sit and wait till they get over it. And that may be the next day. You may walk away from it and come back and talk to them the next day and approach them very positively understand where their buttons are their buttons will be attached to, to their ego and their fear so if you understand their ego and their fear you'll understand where their buttons are and try to avoid those buttons 
Because when you push one of those buttons, then suddenly they go into irrational space where you no longer can deal with them as rational people. And avoiding that is one of the best things you can do, not put them in that space. And some people, the best strategy is to just see as little of them as possible. Just not interact with them because they're so very negative, so very uh, self-centered that interaction with them is just problematical. Now, if that person happens to be somebody you need to interact with, now that's different. You see, if it's somebody that's easy to walk away from, well, just walk away and stay away. You know, like maybe a coworker that you really don't get along with, but you don't work in the same area anyway, so you just are polite. You, you know, how are you? Fine. How are you in the hallway? But you don't really spend time with that person because it's just they're too irrational, too much anger, too much ego and fear. Now, if it's somebody like your spouse or, you know, your, your child or, you know, an aunt or an uncle or somebody you have to spend time with, then the thing to do is avoid their buttons, find a place where they don't get on a you know, negative, find just something that they like or that's positive in their life or something that they look at in a positive way and go meet them there. Spend time on that positive thing, uh, whatever it is, whether it's their hobby or whether it's people they do like or the, you know, their favorite movie, whatever. Spend some time there on that subject with them and also spend some quiet time with them where you're just hanging out with them and you ask and you interact with them in a personal way, not an intellectual way. If they, uh, you know, if you're sitting with them and they look like, or you might just ask them, you know, would you like something to eat? Would you like something to drink? Can I get you a blanket? Uh, are you chilly? Uh, just, you know, take care of them. Be nice to them. Show them that you that you care about them. Not telling them that, but just show them. You see that you care in little ways. At first, they will think, oh, I wonder what she wants. You know, <laughs> they're being nice to me. You know, I wonder what they want. You know, they're being nice to me like that. But you don't want anything. You just be nice a little bit and then let that go. You don't have to do anything more. But if that's consistent, that will, that will break through eventually. And they will feel that and they will love it. They will like it. They will relish that, that somebody really cares about them. Then they will be a little more careful with their buttons. You, they won't let you hit their buttons quite, you know, they won't react so violently if you get in and around subject matter where their buttons are, they will remain rational longer. So you can actually turn them into a friend or somebody you can talk to. So the way to approach it is to find ways that you can be kind to them, that you can be helpful. And that may be hard in the beginning. Some people, it's just really even hard to be nice to them. Because even if you smile at them and say, have a nice day, they growl back at you. You know, sometimes people are like that. But just keep being nice and subtle and, and maybe even distant ways until it builds up. And over months, over a year, you can build up a positive relationship with them, okay, avoiding their buttons. And <clears throat> that's how you can kind of get inside, if you like. And at that point, what you'll find inside is a very terrified, frightened, unhappy person. That's what's in there. And it's almost like a very frightened, unhappy, terrified child. That's what's in there. And you have to work with it just like they were a child. You have to be comforting, but not pushy. You can't, you know, you can't push them this way or that. You can't tell them how they be. You can't criticize them. You just have to be nice. And eventually you will be able to be more help to them. And they will change and they'll start to grow up just because of that. And pretty soon they may even can come to, um, you know, depend on you because you're the only friend they have, you see. So it just takes time to work yourself up into a very bad relationship with people who are hard to, hard to get to know. And sometimes it just won't work. There's some people you just have to say, you know, 
you're on your own. You know, good luck. I wish you well, but I just don't see that it's an advantage for either one of us to spend any time together because it just doesn't work out. And if that's the case, then keep your distance. Whenever you're around that person, be polite, be nice, smile, don't push any of their buttons, but just don't go out of your way to, you know, to get involved. So it depends on the individuals. Some you can get close to, some you can make friends out of, some you can't. And when you can't, and that's somebody you love, then that's sad. That's very sad, but it just is how it is. We're all on our own path, struggling with our own issues in our own way, and everybody has to find their own way, you know, out of their fears. You can't necessarily fix everyone or even anyone. So you just give them the space and the comfort and the security that they can fix themselves. And if you can't do that, then you're just probably, uh, you know, it's just something you're not going to change. They're just not ready yet. They're not ready to change. They're too invested in their ego, too invested in their fear. They're not ready to change. And they'll just have to stew in their own, you know, in their own juice until they are ready. And though it's sad, very sad, when you see people like that, you just can see them hurting themselves and you want to do something to help them break out of it, but they have to break out of it in their own time. Like I say, all you can do is make them feel safe enough that they can start to grow and expand into different space. But it's, it doesn't always work with everybody. Some people aren't ready. And if you can't push people who aren't ready. And if that happens to be a child or a spouse, well, that's a, you know, that's a difficult problem. If it's a coworker, that's easy. If it's their boss, it's somewhere in between. Does that help any, TT? Yeah, it helps a lot. And uh, you also answered the next question that was about a specific teenager for the <laughs> angry wall up. <laughs> so I yeah. think I, I understand a bit more on how to handle him in, in a more productive way. Yeah. Teenagers so, are yeah, teenagers are a special case because okay. they because they are trying to become adults. They're trying not to be children. To do that, they have to make their own choices. They have to make their own mistakes. And they resent people trying to nudge them into making choices. Oh, you know, you need to do it this way. Oh, that's a bad path to go down. Don't do that. Because here they are struggling to make their own, their own decisions. So with them, you have to be very careful not to tell them what to do, but rather to just show them the possibilities. Here are, you know, 10 possibilities. You could go down this route and here are the things that are likely to happen. And you could go down this route and here are the things that are likely to happen and so on. But you make your own choice. You, you judge it you know, in your own way. And you see that way, if they go down a, a, a negative route, they will already have what you've told them about what's likely to happen down that route. And as they start to see that happen, it'll ring a bell. You know, oh, mom or it's already told me about that. That sort of thing might happen. And they're liable to notice it quicker because you told them. But if you say, don't go down that route, that's not a good route. Well, now they almost have to go down that route. You see, you've made it so they have no choice. Now they have to do that because you told them not to. And by doing what you say, they're just following directions and not making their own choices. So with teenagers, you have to let them choose. They're old enough now to choose and to deal with the consequences, but inform them of what consequences might be, but not in any way of, I told you so, not in any way of, if you do this, that'll happen. Just here's some of the possibilities and give them good possibilities as well as bad possibilities. And also tell them that all these possibilities are just things out of your own experience and out of the experience that you know of of others. 
they're not necessarily what's going to happen to them because they're a unique person that's going to make unique choices. But there's been lots of people I know of went down that route, and here's the kind of stuff that happened to them. You may be different, but just wanted to let you know in case the information's useful. See, that sort of thing, as opposed to trying to give them direction and tell them what to do because we know what is going to hurt them. We can't stand to let them go hurt themselves. So we have this idea we have to tell them what to do and what not to do. Well, let them make the choice. And if they crash and burn, then be the first one to give them a hug. Do not tell them I told you so. And pat them on the butt and send them back out into the, into the world to try again. You know, so you're, that's basically your role at that, at that point when they're teenagers is to give them guidance, not direction. When they're littler, you give them direction, not guidance, because they really can't deal with guidance then. They just need to be told, no, you cannot play in the street. But when they're teenagers, you have to let them make their own mistakes, but give them the information so that they'll be aware of those mistakes more quickly. Don't be judgmental. Never be judgmental with them. If they make a mistake and they come home with egg all over their face because what you told them might happen, happened, don't mention it. They get it. You don't have to explain it to them again. Thank you very much. Um, I understand it in theory. So let's see if I can practice it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, all these things that I tell people are all easy to say, hard to do. It's, it takes practice.